this. Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for a geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Molinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch all my favorite animated shows. In this episode, when Mabel questions the way Stan runs the mystery shack, he challenges her to a bet. Whoever can make the most money in three days wins a chance to run the shack however they wish for the rest of the summer. We're talking about Gravity Falls boss Mabel this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. <laughs> I I I made my cat very mad at me today. What did you do? Well, what did okay. you do? So it's Zeb. Zeb is our our of teenage. Of course, it's Zeb. It's our teenage boy cat, and we've been taking him on supervised like outside time. And he has this like little vest on him that we like that velcros onto him, and it has like little reflectors and stuff like that. So in case he runs off. Oh, how humiliating! He, he he. I mean, you he was originally right you guys he was a stray right yeah but he was very he was still in like kitten form when he came here so uh, he he wasn't like the girls our, our other two girls like right. they were like Hardened outside cats <laughs> with with notches in their ears and stuff from getting yeah. fights and stuff yeah so when we've been doing this the supervised outside time he's been kind of scared to get off the porch so he usually just sniffs around the porch and sits on the porch he doesn't actually leave so i was sitting outside with him and oh boy, over by like the chairs on our porch, he definitely saw a freaking lizard. And he ran for that lizard and he jumped into it and grabbed it. And he like was so happy, like trotting back to the door, like, I have a lizard. And I'm just in here going, oh my God, Zeb. And he kept, goes over to the door and just starts meowing because he wants to go inside with this lizard. And I was like, you have to let go of this lizard, Zeb. Poor thing. So I'm trying to like kind of. I don't want to, like, rip the poor little lizard out of his mouth. I don't want to, like, have Zeb carry this lizard inside the house. I kind of just kind of grab him by the harness. And I was like, all right, let go of the lizard. <laughs> and he drops it. And he puts his paw on this poor thing and just rips off its leg. And I was like, oh, my God, Zeb! And he's just, like, so happy about it. So I, <laughs> I just hoist him up by the harness and just throw him inside. And I close the door. And I look down, and this poor lizard's just, like, squirming away with missing an arm and jumps off the porch. And I look down, and it's, like, a murder scene on our front rug. And Zeb is just banging on the door to get let out again, just screaming at me. When I wouldn't let him uh, back out, I just see him turn, and he just runs and just tackles our other cat, Carmilla. And poor Carmilla is just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and they get into a fight, and I'm just, like, looking at this murder scene. And I was just like, huh. <laughs> he, got the, like, he got the bloodlust. He got the taste for blood. Watch yeah, out. And he didn't hurt Carmilla or anything. It was more just, like, the frustration that I let yeah. him out. And so, like, after I got the rug cleaned up and everything, I let him back out again. And he just, like, ran over to where the lizard was and then ran back to the mat. And he, like, looked at me like, where's my lizard? <laughs> what the hell? So somewhere out in the under our porch is a poor little lizard with three legs. That was my day. I'm and, not sure, but I think so, I I know they can grow tails back, but I'm not sure. I think some of them can grow legs back, so he might be okay. I think he will be, because it, it's a skink, and I think skinks can grow their limbs back. I feel like I I know that 
more like a skank. Yeah, I just, just love once again. I love the word skink. <laughs> that skink. we call him. That we call him skinks down here, down south. It sounds just. Oh. It sounds like such a nasty swear word. Uh, those little blue tail skinks. Yeah, yeah. Skinks. And then I just podcast edited it for the rest of the day. But it was it was one of those things. I was getting ready to eat lunch, and I was like, "Yeah, Zeb, I'll let you out for a little bit." And I didn't eat lunch for like an hour after that because <laughs> I was like, "Nope, nope, nope." I had to clean up a murder scene. Could possibly edit all this out because it's a very murdery opening for this podcast. <laughs> Listen to this in four weeks and then decide if we want to add an animal murder for this podcast. Hey. Anyway. There's a grim oblet in this episode. The, so. the grim. The, the grim lob. I have so much trouble saying this. We're grimoblin. Grim loblin. Grimoblin. Grimoblin. So. I, I keep wanting to say a mob goblin, which is a, like a, a, a moblin. A moblin is a Zelda enemy in Legend of Zelda, so I keep wanting to call it a moblin. <laughs> or a hobgoblin. Hey, you want to get to the episode? Yeah, I'm ready. What'd you think of uh, Boss Mabel? This might be one of my favorite. This might be in my favorite episode so far. It's a fun one. I mean, it's 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 all character, and I like that about it. Yeah, there's so. there's a few little elements in this. I like. I think they keep turning the complexity of it up a little bit, and there's a few little signs of that in this one that I liked. I don't always revisit this one when I do rewatches, only just because it's not like like a super like plot mystery adds to the mythos of the world episode. But every time I watch this episode, I love it. Cause no, it's, it's very. It's just very entertaining. It, it's so much character work. Like I, I think this is the first episode where I broke everything down by character over plot points. And... Well, I don't know if there was a lot of like lessons. I mean, there's sort of a lesson. There's sort of a lesson to be learned in the story main storyline, mm-hmm. but it's not the interpersonal pubo lessons that we've been having. You know, it's just more yeah. of a sort of a sitcom. And I think um, the difference is, is that lesson. Stan Stan is involved. Yes, for the and, second time. Yeah, and that that to me is the difference because so much of our pubo lessons that we've been going through is because they're centered around Dipper and Mabel, but Stan is involved this time, and it's part and the story this, is centered around him. This is and the Mabel. second story in a row where their where their stories overlap in a meaningful way, where their yeah. storylines are intertwined with with the outcome of their storylines are intertwined. And and that to me is like what makes this episode super duper work. What was last week's episode? Last week's episode was Summerween, so <laughs> I couldn't remember what we talked about last time. <laughs> yeah, only only your favorite episode. Shut up! I know it's been a week. I've had a long week. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week. That was like seven whole days ago, Honeywell. Seven whole days. Like I can remember. I don't remember what I did yesterday. Wait, it was Jagus and Jedi. Jedi, that's what I did. No, I think since COVID started, we should just count everything as dog years. It is currently July 21st, and on one hand, it still feels like it's April. On the other hand, I feel like it should be November (laughs) at the exact same time. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Boss Mabel is the 13th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on February 15th, 2013. It was written by Tim McKeon and Alex Hirsch. It was directed by John Aoshima, and the storyboard artists were Nikki Yang and Chris Sonneberg. Some extra information for you. In the episode, Stan raises the prices of the snow globes to $200. They stay at that price for the rest of the series. 
As a continuation from a note from last week, uh, we had been talking about how Stan's feds got changed over the course of the first season. This is the last episode to feature Stan's classic fez design, as it changes to a new version in next week's episode, Bottomless Pit. It seems that Gomper ate Stan's fez, which is why he needed a new one. But also, as we mentioned last week, the Shriners organization were threatening to sue Disney if the design wasn't changed. And finally, this isn't really background information, but I just thought it was a really funny fandom moment. Because Dipper got dressed up as half of a wolf in this episode, there was a part of the fandom that latched onto the idea that Dipper was a furry. And it led to one excellent Twitter exchange where Alex Hirsch offered to answer any question from the show. Someone got there first with the question, is Dipper a furry? To which Hirsch responded with, you had one chance and you wasted it. (laughs) That's a good response. That's the response that is deserved from that question. He's so obviously not a furry. That's one of my favorite jokes in the whole thing because, as I figured out last month, it's really puberty falls. And that was just full of, like, you know, oh, he's growing strange hairs and look, everybody, his body's changing. So it was just a great puberty joke. Well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is broken down into parts. Part one, we'll talk about the story, themes, and character. Part two, we'll be looking at the journal entries. Part three will be Chris's Speculation and Theories Corner. And part four, we'll be talking about the ciphers and connections to previous episodes. So, Chris, what were your favorite parts of this episode? I have three. I have three as well. Um, the the Grimoblin with the, with the singing Rasta fish <laughs> was a great gag. <laughs> The wallet saying to his son, don't spend yourself all in one place is a beautiful wordplay and like deep cutting capitalism joke, sort of (laughs) maybe in my mind, but like it works that way. And I just love that when Stan opens up his safe, it says Miser and Son Company on it. I missed that. Yeah, there's a (laughs) Miser and Son safe. It's all in old timey letters on it. My favorite parts was when the Grimoblin looks in the mirror and he sees his worst fear and he says, I'm turning into my father. <laughs> I love that joke. It still to this day makes me laugh where he thinks he's turning into his dad and that's his greatest fear. Um, my other, my next favorite part was that the fact that Mabel gives the Grimoblin a key because he's an employee and needs breaks. <laughs> and just her line of, but he's an employee, sort of. <laughs> I just well, love it's that funny line, because and I love that delivery in that line. <laughs> she has so many throwaway lines, but the funny thing is, is her throwaway lines aren't really, they, they seem like throwaway lines, but you really shouldn't treat them as such, because when she became boss, like, her her line of, like, legalize everything is so reflected in her actions as boss. It's great. Um, and my other favorite part is the entire B-plot with Stan on Cash Wheel. I love every single moment of that. For and But I think my favorite part is when he's faking the heart attack. And because this is actually how Hollywood works, where they're like, oh, that guy is selfish and horrible and, and wants all the attention. Put him on TV! Because, like, that's such a joke of Hollywood of, like, like Joe Exotic. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's like Joe Exotic. Like, Joe Exotic's a horrific person, and yet they're like, oh, let's throw him on Netflix. And now, He's the and now... most popular person in the country, yeah. Yeah, and I love just the Wheel of Fortune jokes, and how all those nods, and just, like, the little things. Like, 
I love that entire storyline of cat of staying on Cash Wheel, and I like his little vacation outfit too. It's cute, like the little Hawaiian shirt and stuff. I, I like it. So I have this broke all my notes broken down by character. How do you want to do this? Okay, well let's go. With it. I'll try to I'll try to shoehorn in some of my notes in with your character notes. All right. So I open with the plot of this episode is very common in animation. Heck, I just watched this exact same plot in Amphibia, because I'm currently watching Amphibia for the first time, because it's, I've been hearing so much about it, and it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting show. I, but, I think but, this is just like a trope comedy plot. It's like a sitcom plot. Like, it's very... Yeah. Yeah. And role reversal. So, like, what makes this episode really... But, but like, this is very common, and especially in animation, where, like, the kid has to do the adult job, and then they realize how hard the adults work. Yeah. Like... Like, this is a Disney Channel, Nickelodeon teen show cartoon plot. And it's very common where they learn to appreciate their parents or their guardians or their bosses seeing how hard they work. So what makes this episode so good is the character work. And this is a really good showcase of all five of the main characters. So I have Stan and Mabel together. It's mostly Mabel, but I have like this, I wrote Mabel versus Stan. Yeah, because Dipper really is just sort of, uh, he's just sort of there in this one. Yeah, I love how we see it's Mabel's idealism versus Stan's real world experience. Because it really fits into, to me, into the story of Mabel trying to hold on to her childhood. That is her overarching story. She doesn't want to give up childhood. So she thinks that she can actually survive in the real world on pleases and thank yous. Because that's the childhood idealism that she has. And then Stan's just like, ha! I would agree with that. It's funny because this is almost like a story for more adults because it reminds me of anybody who's worked in retail or any kind I, of just like, you know, minimum wage-esque, about, just above minimum wage when the first job where you get made a manager. I actually have that note as my last note was, I feel the scene where Mabel is running around the shack by herself because I've lived in that retail hell. Uh-huh. I remember being the only one scheduled at Fuck off hot topic of all places, opening a store with 20 customers during Christmas all by myself. And I finally just had to look at all the customers and be like, there's one of me and 15 of you. Stop. Because <laughs> I was just overwhelmed. Or or, to, or having to tell somebody that's like one of your peers, you know, having to boss around someone that's one of your peers. I've been a store manager telling yep. people older than me, me what too. to do. <laughs> me too. They don't always like when somebody younger than them is the store manager. No, or sometimes you get you get a friend or a friend of a friend or a girlfriend of a friend or a boyfriend of a friend. All of a sudden you get in trouble because you got to yell at that person, you know, and then somebody's saying, why are you yelling at my wife or whatever? I mean, or, and that's when you have to set the rule of like the moment you walk through the door, you're not friends anymore. You're co-workers. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's. Yeah. Ideally, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, does, that's a great plan. But getting everybody I, to play along with it—that's another. That's that's what, what what is great about this is it. It was a great illustration of being in someone else's shoes. But at the same time, like I guess they couldn't roll reverse because Stan's already been in her shoes because he's been a kid. But uh, what I like about it is there's a lot of obvious tropes to run that you that you sort of have to run because they're part. They come with it. But what I like about it is, is Stan's a con man. He knows his con. You know, her questions at the beginning seem like valid questions and stuff like, 
hey, you know, if if we use Seuss's idea, you know, hey, Seuss's works here, and and Dipper going, hey, if we got a real monster, you know, it's like, yeah, those sound like good ideas, but like, and Stan like poo poos them, but then they find out, no, they were bad ideas, <laughs> and they find out why they didn't work. They find out the dynamics. What I liked about it is it, it could, in a normal thing, it would have just been the family store, but the family store is kind of a grifty shack, so they have to learn grifty stuff to survive, to be responsible. <laughs> that was actually um, sort of one of my Dipper notes oh, about, like, pretty much about Stan's con, because part of what Dipper learns is that it's not about actually showcasing real life, it's about putting on the illusion of reality. Because people don't want real life. They want right. to escape real life and come into like the illusion of the mystery shack where they can look at a six-pack-a-lope and be like, oh, cute. Yeah. yeah. And Dipper falls into the stand position real easy. He's got the eye patch on. He's like all dudeed up and doing a fancy walk and everything. And he's and he's good at it, too, like right off the bat. So it's, it's funny to see that. That's, that's the real, that's the like, that's the big dipper scene in this one, but just gonna touch on that. Like it kind of is along his storyline of learning how to think outside the box. Because he's very logical in the beginning of like, I'm gonna get a real monster, but he has to learn to think outside the box to understand how the mystery shack works. So it's also in a very like small, subtle way a continuation of this storyline that he's been already having for the entire season. Yeah. It's like thinking, I'm doing air quotes now, thinking outside the box, but it it seems like maybe it's not so outside the box for Dipper after all. Maybe he thinks it's out of the box, but he seems to take to it pretty naturally. Yeah. To go back to Mabel and Stan, I just have to note, like, their relationship is one of my favorites in the show. Like, yes, the show is about Dipper and Mabel, but I, I personally love the relationship of Mabel and Stan. They're one of my favorite parts of the show, and... They're so similar in a lot of ways, but they're also so different because she's very much like a moral compass for him. For And we've seen this, like he's a grifter, he's a con man, but we've seen like in the episode Double Dipper when she's having her karaoke off with Pacifica, Stan drops everything to clap and cheer her on in that one moment. And I, I just, I love these little things that come out of just these two. And I just, I really love their relationship together. And seeing how Stan is becoming more, I don't want to say grounded because it's not, and I don't want to say softer because it's not, but there's definitely a change happening from where he was just 13 episodes ago at the beginning. Well, we're seeing it through the kids' eyes, and they're getting to know him better, so he's becoming more of a real character. At first, you're just going to notice the crazy Grunkle Stan, you know, the broadest of his characteristics. And then as time goes on, you know him more as a human. Yeah, absolutely. What I like about Mabel is we see that she's so positive to a fault, to, to the point where she doesn't even listen to Seuss's concerns. Like when he comes out first and question me the question mark, and he's like, um, this is a bad idea. I did not think this through. I'm not wearing cold clothes and I'm cold. She's so like positive to the point where she's not even listening to his concerns anymore. And I like that her fault is being so positive that she can't see the reality of situations. It's almost to the point of being abusive with Seuss. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, He he ends up in the woods with the wolves. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's a good fault for her to have. 
I don't think that's outside the norm for a 12 year old to be so idealistic and so positive and wanting the best out of life and just to well, like yeah. will, will things into being to where it becomes her fault. Yeah. Well, that's how that's how you learn. That's how life beats you down, Hope. Yeah. I mean, that's how I am. I mean, I'm very much a Mabel in my life. I am very much a look on the positive side. It's all going to work out if you keep working and grinding. And sometimes it doesn't. And it sucks. Hell, that's been my week. That was my week this week. And sometimes things don't work out and it sucks. And you have to like hit the real world and figure something out. But like, I'm very much a Mabel like that. Gosh, and that was my fault growing up. I, I am the most gullible of gullible people. And even still to this day at 32, I take people at face value. And it's something I have to learn. And, and I've been trying to work on my entire life, but it's just part of my nature is just... Yeah. If I, I do. Well, you're definitely not as mabled out as you probably, or, you know, as you were at, say, 12. I was very mabled at 12. <laughs> right. But you've probably, probably gotten a little bit of leather leather between then and now, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting better at it. I really am. I was talking with a buddy of mine. We were talking about some, like, stuff that happened back in college. And she told me about this one situation. And, like, I had just completely missed it. And I was like... I thought everyone liked each other. And she was like, no, that entire group hated each other. And I was like, really? I liked all of them. <laughs> I thought we were all friends. I didn't realize all this was happening. I've, yeah. I've been in a few situations. I've, I've had a few life. things like that where I've told. Sometimes I'm really good at sussing out that stuff. But when I'm not good at it, I'm just totally clueless. Same here. But I, I do like seeing how Mabel's lesson of saying please and thank you also ends up getting Stan in the end. <laughs> that he lost everything because he can't say please. And then we have that nice moment of... Because well, he opened he it that... all up with his catchphrase, something he said all the time, which was like, shut your yapped. And so he had something familiar at the end and then a <laughs> simple, simple please. and or Was it please or thank you? It was please. It was the, it was the yeah. please. Yeah, a simple please foiled him. I knew yeah. it was... That's the thing is... They gave away right at the beginning that he was going to end, if you know the show. And 13 episodes in, I think I do. As soon as part of the agreement in the bet was that he would have to sing an apology song written by Mabel, accompanied by a dance, I'm like, that's going to happen. That's Chekhov's apology song right there. It's going to happen because this show loves to write a song for the show. (laughs) Chekhov's apology song. Funny little charming song for the show. So it's there's no way this show. And I knew it was going to be the little like little puncher at the end. You know, the little punch out at the end would be the the song. And I even thought it might even be like through a camcorder or something. But and it was. But there's no way they were going to set that up and not deliver to. And I was just like, and it was something to look forward to because all the all through it because it's like. The way she said it, an apology song with lyrics by me is specifically written by me. It's just like, yeah, this is too funny to let to let this gag not happen. It's going to happen. And he's he's going to lose. And that's one of the nice things about Gravity Falls is when you do figure out the end, it does a good job of like explaining the how. So we know that that's going to be the end. But the how is the interesting part of yeah. it. Yeah, well, then then they work it to, to where he's just crushing them. So it's, just, you know, that he just has a pile of money behind him. So they build it up. But, I mean, there's something to be said in writing for tension and, and all that and stuff. 
But sometimes you don't need a lot of attention to tell a story like this, you know, of who's going to win or not. It's more about how it gets told. And that's what makes this one. It's kind of relaxing in shows like that. You know, you don't you don't have to wonder about what's going to happen. You just can enjoy it playing out. To use a, another example, which I know I'm, we might not we might lose a couple people on this. But Clone Wars Season 7 was a really good example of how to write tension when people already know the end of the story. So a little background for anybody who doesn't watch Star Wars. So Clone Wars came out, right? And then the show was canceled. And then they had their second show, Rebels. And in Rebels, two Clone Wars characters named Ahsoka and Rex show up in Rebels. And when they came back and they were going to finish Season 7 of Clone Wars, we already knew that Rex and Ahsoka survived into the sequel series. The entirety of season seven is a masterclass of how to write tension. And, and Darth Maul, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Maul, too. So the entirety of season seven is a masterclass of how do you write tension and the journey and the how when your fans already know what the ending is. And it's a masterclass of yeah, it. No, it's, it's tension from beginning to end. Each episode is packed with tension. Even though we knew that they were going to be alive, yeah. there were times where I was like, are we sure they live? <laughs> are we yeah. sure this is going to yeah. happen? Yeah. Because it's intense and it's, um, yeah. it's so good. Not to get into the Clone War, too much Clone Wars talk, but it was following along the story arc of the third prequel movie, which was also a movie where you knew the outcome of that movie. The other ones, you didn't know how stuff played out, but this one, you knew what the end point was to this movie. Three quarters of the way through, I was still rooting for Anakin not to be Darth Vader, which was quite a thing to pull off. But yeah. this one, this one doesn't have a lot of tension over who's going to win. It's not like a necessary ingredient for this episode. It's more, it's more about just sort of the amusing, the amusement of of seeing Mabel have to deal with Stan's world and and Stan in just the parody of you know Wheel of Fortune. If you want to hear us talk more about Star Wars, check out our other podcast, J Guys and Jedi. Just and to. yeah, which we will be getting to. Which maybe Roger. by the time maybe by the time they hear this, we will be in. Yeah, we'll be pretty darn close. This will be coming out right about the time where we'll be doing season set, starting season seven of Clone Wars. So excellent. Go check out J Guys and Jedi, our other Star Wars podcast. But the only other part that I wanted to add in was. I like that because he lost and he lost so big and he did get to see a little bit of what Mabel was saying. Stan does have that little bit at the end where he does soften up just a touch because he like looks at Zeus and Wendy and he's like, get back to work, please. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> but he still had that little moment where it's like, okay, yeah, he saw a little bit of what his niece was saying and he... It is a little bit of a soften up, but he's still good old grumpy Grunkle Stan, too. I, I like that little end, and I just have Stan's wrong song dance is great. Yeah, it is. I just like the little kids where she's like, kick! And he's just like, Ugh. Do the kicks now. Yeah. Ugh. Jazzier! <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna... Do it! I'm Stan, and I was wrong. I'm singing the Stan wrong song. I shouldn't have taken that chance. Now here's my remorseful dance. Do the kicks! <laughs> Jazzier! <sighs> hey, give me that! <sighs> what do you think? Oh, my back. Wait, <sighs> 10.30! Oh, 
but that's all I have for Maple and Stan. Dipper? Yeah, not not a lot not a lot going on with Dipper, I thought, in this this one as much. I was trying to think about it a little bit, because on the surface, it's like, oh, Dipper, you know, is helping out Mabel. But really, everything he's doing is to prove his own worth as a monster hunter. Yeah, yeah. He's sort of, he's sort of, actually, it's funny, because his storyline is kind of more like Stan's storyline was in the first chunk of this season. Sort of going along in his own, he's like, I'm going to go out and catch a monster now, and He's got his own sort of thing going on parallel with everybody else's. And it, and it does dovetail in with the other story, but it's sort of almost his own little self-contained thing going on. And it's also like takes up less space in the story. It takes up the amount of space that Stan usually has. And Stan has the dipper space in the story in this one. Yeah, now that you put it that way, yeah, absolutely. The dipper space. He, <laughs> he inhabits the dipper space. I mean, the only other note that I, I have for this is I'm all, I'm kind of actually very uncomfortable watching the Dipper dress as a wolf scene and like watching Stan do that to him. Oh, it should be. It's that's the most humiliating thing you can do to some little I, pubo kid is like, look at this kid. He's in, having puberty. Ha ha. Laugh at him and take pictures. It's almost. It's, is it? Is it abuse? Like, it's close. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's sort of the, <laughs> there's a lot of that going on in this show. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, remember, they were like, how, remember how they were, like, all piling on Dipper insulting him in there's the big, big Dipper between, episode. There's a difference between family members picking on each other and, like... Humiliating. <laughs> humiliation <laughs> in front of a humiliation. Group. In front yeah. of a group of like strangers, yeah. that's a completely yeah, no, different yeah, it, thing. It, that was a joke more on the sort of in the more in the like Simpsons Family Guy sort of vein, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, it definitely felt like Peter like Rev- dogging revved on up Meg. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, kind of dressed down a little bit for kids. But that's all I really had about Dipper, other than whatever I mentioned. I liked him in the stand role doing the tours. I like that he learned that the mystery of Shaq is about the illusion of reality, not actually monster hunting. But, Seuss? Yeah, I'm ready. Seuss. I didn't have much. I just said, I just wrote that I love that he's super supportive for the family and wants to help the kids out. But I also have to believe that Seuss stayed with two 12-year-olds for three days because I would hope that Stan wouldn't just leave them alone. Yeah, that, without was, that was just a story element they glossed over, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't even think of that because they were just like, yeah, we'll just gloss over that. Uh, unfor- usually Seuss is like the Zen master in this one. And this one, he was more comedy relief and, and, and pathos because <laughs> like he's the nicest one there, basically. And he ends up Humili- hu- also humiliated in his suit and <laughs> and then when the, they finally figure out how to use him it's also humiliating but he's just like hey <laughs> yeah I mm. <laughs> I love Seuss and... there's a certain amount we're working at the mystery hack there's got to be a certain amount of hum- humiliation to the job because it's a scammy job it does it does Stan's I, Stan's life is is just like a series of humiliations. <laughs> life but, is just a series of humiliations. <laughs> I'm just gonna touch touch my nose on that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. I well, can yeah, 
but but these are not just like these are like humiliations that somebody else dreamed up and put on somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm touching my nose on the strangers. <laughs> I'm touching my 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 nose on the Stan's life as a series of humiliations. That's what I'm touching my nose on, on the nose. But I think this is a really good way of like summing up suits in this one. I, I, like I I almost get a little bit upset with Mabel. Like, and then it goes back to her positivity to a fault. Where she's like, I will you to be, like, you're going to be amazing if you just will your amazement well, because, dead. And he's like, I don't know what that means. Well, because it's a little self-serving. It's a little self-centered, her enthusiasm, yeah. too. But she's a, a pubo, so everything's self-centered with a pubo. Like, that's why they have to have lessons in these things, because you have to torture those, the, that stu- you know, those interpersonal, those nice interpersonal relationships out of a pubo, so... Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of pubos, the oldest pubo in the group, I thought Wendy is great. She is straight up a teenager in this episode, and I'm absolutely okay with that. Well, I I saw this note, and that made me think, up to this point, we've mostly been looking through Wendy through Dipper's eyes. Because we were saying, you know, Dipper's kind of the focus of the show. Mabel was definitely the focus of this episode. And I think we saw Wendy through Mabel's eyes which was as the boss and also not starstruck in love like like Dipper. So That's a so they, really good point. I didn't think about it that way. Oh. Just, so she just looks more like a normal teenager than like, I don't want to say like pubo kid's fantasy girlfriend, but sort of like their dream girl, you know, their, their idealized version of like a sort of tomboy, cute girl who's like your friend, girl, you, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, well, actually, like when you're a pubo, like anybody you got a crush on, you have that sort of idealism thing going and stuff like that. And yeah, and it's not there with Mabel. And it's even less so with Mabel because Mabel is like basically an 80s business <laughs> lady, you know. I love the shoulder pads. That, well, that's a, that's a joke for the older people because like... Like when she holds up the book, that was just like the total 80s were, were you know, be, a successful. Without, there was actually a musical from the 80s called How to Succeed in Business Without Even Trying. Yep, yep. I think that was a remake from the 50s, too. When you saw that that jacket and, and the, the book and, and the posters, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's what it was like in the 80s. I, I actually really liked how, gosh, now that you've said that we're looking at Wendy through Mabel's lens, it's such a good, that's such a good note from you. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, teenagers are not the most empathetic people. <laughs> I was not a very empathetic teen. It's just normal part of teenagers that they're a little self-serving. And... Until you have a crush on somebody. Then you're, like, over over-empathetic. You're, like... I wonder what they're thinking at every second. I wonder if they just saw me scratch my my eyebrow. That probably looked really, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually, like, okay with the Wendy storyline because Wendy could easily come off as a little bit mean of walking, like, you know, taking advantage of Mabel's kindness. But she's a teenager. Right. That's normal teen behavior. She's not taking that job very seriously at all compared to hanging out with her friends. That's the most important thing in the world. But I, I do like when Mabel does toughen up, Wendy's all in. Like, she's like, you know what? Yeah, like, I walked over you. I'm here to help you. And, and Wendy, like, doubles down and, like, is there to help Mabel in the end. And so I, I like seeing both of those sides of Wendy of, like, she has normal teenager stuff until she gets snapped out of it. And then we see her kindness come out to help Mabel. 
So I, I thought it was a good Windy episode, actually, all the way around. Oh, my God. Like, you blew my mind when you said that we're looking at Windy through Mabel's eyes. Did I just yes. blow your mind? You really did. Because <laughs> I never thought of it that way. And that's that's a very good note. <laughs> all those years of film school are paying off, Hope. All those years of watching movies in a classroom and then pouring over every detail. It's finally paying off 30 we're years looking, later. We're looking at Wendy through Mabel's pubo female gaze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the female gaze. The only other note that I have is about the Grim Loblin. So what did you think about the Grim Loblin as the monster of the week? The Grim Loblin was, well... If you want to get really pretentious about it, wasn't Mabel the mon- Mabel and Stan the monsters of the week? The Grimoblin was just sort of like a story element. But the one thing that they left, it looked like Mabel got a dose of his eyes. I would have liked to see what Mabel's worst fear was. <laughs> I thought they were going to go there, but they just sort of sloughed over that. I'm touching my nose. I thought it was going to be something like, oh, no, I'm going bald or something. But it was basically that. But it was the joke I'm turning into my father was even better than I'm going bald or something stupid like that. It was just great that he has some like regular mundane middle age fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love the Grim Loblin, too, because good point. Like, really, Mabel and Stan are the monsters of this. He was just a dude in the woods, mind isn't minding his own business till Dipper dragged him into the <laughs> middle of all threw this. Threw him in a sack and locked him in a cage, yeah. Yeah, and I like that he's, like, a little bit of a soft boy. He's sensitive. He doesn't want to be his own father. He doesn't want to turn into his father, and he's, like, putting on stickers and stuff. He's a little soft boy monster. And I like that he gets, you know, he plays with the fish. Like he's, he looks really scary, but he's just kind of like dumb and adorable. And I love it. I just love the gag that they'd been sitting there for hours while he just pushed that button over and over again. I know. (laughs) Torturing them. I like him putting stickers on his face and Mabel's like, he didn't earn those stickers. (laughs) (laughs) And just like the little gag of the tourist thinks the Grimoblin is fake while they think a glued together taxidermy six pack of lope is real. (laughs) Meanwhile, the Grimoblin sends two of them to the like hospital or probably to the asylum for the rest of their lives. But I, I liked the Grimoblin. I think he's a very, very good little monster of the week. He's just a sensitive, soft boy who just... Was... Yeah, and then they got to make a little Gremlins a movie joke where they threw water on him and, and he got worse. But that's all I had for this episode. Did you have anything else? Oh, let's see. Yes, I had uh, two more notes. One, I like that this episode finally addressed the elephant in the room and then blew it off. But I think it was a telling blow off. Whereas Stan's getting ready to go and he's like, well, and Dipper's like, look, man, I've seen real crazy stuff out in the woods here. Why don't you have that? And Stan just blows it off. But I was like, wow, they, they, they just addressed the snuffle up against in the room, you know? A lot of times with shows like that, they're just never going to touch it. You know, Stan's just going to be sort of off in his own world while the kids always run into the monsters. And there's never any like Stan going like, oh, I'll help you catch this monster. It's sort of it's sort of like he's a grown up. So they don't tell the grown up of it. But no, in this one, Dipper's right up front about it. Just like, hey, I think that's they're, they're working into getting eventually getting Stan, finding out what Stan knows about the, the weirdness there because he can't live there and not 
in the mystery hack and not know. And the only other note I had was... Uh, I mean, when- hold on. Before you move on, though. If you were like a 60-something-year-old man, you have a 12-year-old telling you about ghouls and goblins and shit. Would you believe it? Ye- no. Well, here's the thing. Probably if you're Grunkle Stan, yes, because he probably knows that that's true. And the way Dipper approached it wasn't like, Grunkle Stan, Grunkle Stan, there's a Grimoblin in the backyard. It was just like, hey, he addressed it as a reality. He's like, why do you have this fake stuff in here when you got, like, real stuff out in the woods there? Stan's just like, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Usually, if he didn't believe in me, he'd go like, oh, come on, kid. You, you know that stuff's not real. This It's only for the suckers or something like that, you know. But this time, he just avoided, like... He avoided it very deftly by not like addressing it. Just go, just kept going, <laughs> skirted right around it, which means he probably knows a lot more about it because he didn't want to address it in any. He didn't want to bring it up at all, you know, even to be like, "What? There's no weird stuff out in the woods." So I thought that was very telling. And what was your other note? Stan using the the shut your yap. I wonder if they got that from, I I don't know if I brought this up before, but there used to be a TV show called The Ben Stiller Show, and they had a segment in it that was sort of a rip. It was like they sort of ripped off Alf and Married with Children at the same time, and it was a dirty sock puppet. There was a dirty sock named Skank, and his catchphrase was, Ah, shut your stinking trap. But he basically talked like Grunkle Stan. (laughs) <laughs> so I wonder if they I wonder if there was any like I wonder if that was their like little in joke to uh, the Ben Stiller show Janine Garofalo plays the mom in it too oh skank <laughs> anything else no that's about all I got alrighty so if that's it now we go to the next part which we're going to read from Dipper's journal so I'm going to read two entries one is from the author and the other one is from Dipper when it comes to this author one, I can only read the first page because the following two pages is just littered with spoilers. Uh. <laughs> so I'm only going to read the first page, but no, there is much more. I will say from the other three pages that I can't read, the Grimoblin is one of the few creatures that almost defeated the author, which is the story of that the next three pages tell. So, this first part is from the author, and it says, The Grimloblin uh, has fungi details, half gremlin, half goblin, proof that some creatures should not interbreed. See leprechauns and the were-made. See journal number one for these two. Is it like leopard, like leopard unicorns? or No, leopard- like, no, no, like no, a- like, um... Well, oh, what are they called? The the little golden guys at the end of the rainbow, leprechauns. Oh, leprechauns. I was thinking like a leper colony. I was like, ew, that's gross. No, it's a leprechaun and a unicorn. The leprechaun. Uh, a horse is just a a, le- a horse is a leprechaun because it's a unicorn whose horns fallen off from there, leprosy. There actually is a leprechaun in this in this journal. Where is it? Where are you? It's like right at the beginning. The leprechaun. A disappointment to unicorn enthusiasts and leprechaun uh, hunters alike. These giggling freaks of nature are found near rainbows and boxes of sugary cereal with colorful marshmallow shapes. I was searching for nearly a field for four-leaf clovers to use in my luck experiment when I encountered this specimen. And he said, Top of the morning to ya! Then proceeded to chew on my sideburns. (laughs) The leprechaun. 
to finish it off, what the author had to say about the, the Grimlodlin, it's hard to look at it and even harder to say its name three times fast. This creature is even more uglier up close than I expected. And that's all I can read about from the author. So that's now... That's all I can say. To Dipper's point of view about the Grimlodlin. So this is Dipper. July 6th. What a day. Stan made a bet with Mabel and she's been left in charge of the mystery shack. Ridiculous, but true. She asked me to find a legit attraction for Grunkle Stan's tour. And I did it. I went to a spooky looking part of the forest and built one of those tiger traps. It wasn't uh, long before I caught something. Only one small hiccup. I didn't dig the hole deep enough. I thought I'd catch a no more troll. The biggest I'd ever planned was about a werewolf-sized creature. I never would have guessed I'd catch the very beast that almost defeated the author, the Grimloblin. I slowly lowered my sack over its enormous head, and the monster immediately fell asleep. I've seen Stan use this trick on Seuss, too. Put a blanket over Seuss's eyes, and he instantly falls asleep like a parakeet. True story. I tied one end of the rope around the sack and the other one to the back of the golf cart. I dragged it out of the hole and back to the shack. Yes, finally, Dipper Pines, Monster Hunter Supreme. If only Stan was here to see that I actually caught something other than a cold for once. I wonder if the author would be impressed. So that's what Dipper had to say about the Grimloblin. The Grimloblin. Moblin. I can't say this word. I don't even want to try anymore. I can't say it, so. All right, Chris. I know you've already talked about this, but now to your theories and speculation corner. But I'm going to bring this up again. Do you think that Stan knows about the mysteries of this world? Yeah, he does. This episode kind of, like, really more cemented it for me by him not saying anything. Then why do you think that he's not saying anything? Because it's easier not to address it. It's easier to get around. They stop asking... That whole line of conversation stops after he just said, like, Dipper says it and Stan just keeps going, you know, almost as if he didn't hear it, which is a technique for avoid avoidance. (laughs) Do you think it's a way for him to also fit in with the town? Because the people don't seem as aware. The people are generally portrayed like Simpsons townspeople. As in they're generally kind of dim and one track. They all are sort of like goofy versions of the old hillbilly or the lumberjack family, mm-hmm. the wimpy guy. And they're all kind of blown in the wind of easily manipulated and stuff like that. Where Stan is, is sort of seems to have more, you know, he's playing all of them. His role there is he's, he's there to play everybody. The town don't li- doesn't like him because he probably played all them and they all live there, but like he plays all the tourists. So I think Stan's like a little more sophisticated than the rest of the town. Why do you think he plays them? Because it's part of his personality. Okay. He's a he's a, he's a huckster. He's a he's a he's a con man, and he you know it's part of being a con man is proving that you're smarter than everybody else. You're not wrong. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you would come up with like, well, I just wanted to see whether or not you're like, oh, character, mo- character motivation. I, I was, yeah, I just wanted to see like what you would come up with, but no, you're not wrong. He's a content. <laughs> I'll give you that one. Thank you. So did you, I, I did add that question in. Did you have any other speculations and theories for this episode? I don't know if this is as much of a speculation, but I think it would be very funny to have the Grimoblin come back at some point, but be like, come up to Dipper and be like, Dipper, I just wanted to thank you. You, 
I had a transformative moment in my life where I finally faced my worst inner demon and I'm a much happier Grimoblin now. Thank you for shoving that mirror in my face. <laughs> and then and then Mabel gives him a sticker like, you're welcome. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that would be perfect. Yeah. Bloop right on his nose and then he sheds a single tear. <laughs> Any other spirits and spirits? Any other spirits and No more spirits for me. Speculations. I'm all spurried out. All right, so next is the Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes. This was the minorest of minorest connections, but when they went into Stan's office, we see the copying, the cloning copying machine off to the side that we saw in Double Dipper, but it's not used. I just, it's just one of those things that it's still there. It's hanging out. It's in Stan's office, so. And finally, as always, there's a cryptogram at the end of every episode. And once it's deciphered, it reads, Heavy is the head that wears the fez. This is a reference to William Shakespeare's Henry IV Part II, in which King Henry says the famous line, Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, which is often misquoted as, Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Well, Shakespeare and your gravity falls. Heavy is the head sounds better to me. I don't know. It was Shakespeare. I'm not a. I know the Bard is a big deal. No, I've never been the biggest Shakespeare fan. Shakespeare, like I remember doing Shakespeare in high school. I've read quite. A, I, I was in um, a Midsummer's Night Dream as a teenager. I did Puck. <laughs> you were Puck. I was. I was um, Peter. It Plute. was. It wasn't like a full play play, but it was like a language arts play, and we had to act out scenes. And I made like Puck pants, and I did my hair, and got an A. No, we did the we did the whole play out in the town park. So oh, it was cool. a it was an outdoor version of it. So like all the like Puck was running into the wood would run off a path into the woods, and we had to change all our outfits out down in a path of the woods. So it was very Shakespeare. We were run, running out of the bushes and stuff. Cool. But um, I don't think Sh- Shakespeare is like the author that I mean he's good. And his yeah. stories are good, but he's just like the guy whose stuff survived. I think he was, if you really want to like put him in a real context, he was kind of like the Stephen King of his time. Not to say anything, I'm not that that's bad, but like he wasn't this like, you know, the way people view him is like Shakespeare, the foundation of drama and all this. And no, he was a successful writer of crowd pleasing fiction. Full of death and yelling and stabbing and and, and, taking, and all and taking old stories and making them new because Romeo and Juliet is Pyramus and Thisbe from ancient Greek myths. <laughs> right, and he put Pyramus and I I acted out Pyramus and, and Thisbe in Midsummer's Night Dream because that's the play within a play at the end of it. So historically, in context, he's important, but like to be like. Mm, to understand the works of Shakespeare. Like in high school, it's good in high school to be like, hmm, and you see there's, this is his guilt playing out and these characters represent the foreshadowing of this. It's all like the basic stuff of, of it, but it was pop entertainment at the time. That's why I actually really love the Doctor Who episode where the 10th Doctor and Martha meet Shakespeare and, and Shakespeare's just a dude and he's just like... Fuck off all y'all. Yeah, he's a theater. He like, was yeah. probably just a theater. He was a theater guy, you know? And I mean... And he would just I mean, drink and he was raunchy and he was like, you all suck. And the crowd mm-hmm. was like, oh. I, that's, I really love that Doctor Who episode because they really captured like, yeah, that's probably, that's closer to what it's it was It's probably like. more like reality than, yeah, 
I mean, when people went to the Globe in that time, watching a Shakespeare play was watching, like, the the Kardashians of the day. Like, it I was, was gonna, the low... I was going to say the Housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever, but yeah. yeah. Like, that was the lowbrow entertainment. I mean, and that's what people... But, like you said, because Shakespeare survived, and it's, like, what we have so much of it... It was, now it was it trashy, trashy stories of the rich and famous, literally. Yeah. I kind of wish there was... Like, oh, my gosh. Now I want to do, like, Hamlet, but with, like, a real housewives spin. It's just like, oh, my God. My mom fucked my uncle. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. And, like, and his girlfriend comes in. He's like, what's wrong? He's like, don't talk to me. I need to talk to a ghost. <laughs> this is my skull friend. I'm going to take an Instagram picture with my skull friend. What's up, Yorick? Yorick, click, click. <laughs> that would be really funny to see if you could pitch a reality show. Because they're all quote unquote reality shows. The producers are feeding them stories and stuff. And see how many seasons you could go through where each season is a Shakespeare play until somebody picks up on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like you have the little side like confessionals and Mercutio is just like, I don't know what's going on with Romeo lately, man. I think he just needs to like, I don't know, jack off or something. <laughs> He's been acting crazy the last two days. Talking about this girl he just met. I mean, come on, man. You just yeah. met her. Calm could, down. Oh, could. my God, I'm getting stabbed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd have to change the names. You'd have to try to conceal it as much as possible outside, you know, with everything outside of the, the storyline and what happens in it. Although, you, although like, reality shows don't have a lot of murders in them. You'd have to, like, somehow <laughs> work out how you're going to work around the murders. But that would be fun, I think. They just get, you know, voted off the island. That would be the Tempest. But, you know, if they, instead of getting murdered, they're just voted off their show. Right, right. Oh, my God. This is a brilliant idea. <laughs> no one steal it. <laughs> someone steal it. This is too good to not be on. TV. Yeah, I was just going to say, someone steal it because then it could actually get made. Yeah, just credit us for it. Be like, yeah, I get this. <laughs> just just credit us for this. So. You know who I also should credit? Yoda? No. <laughs> 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 He's not on this show. He's on the other show. No, I did burp at an opportune moment when we mentioned our, our gross third podcaster, Yoda. No, I need to credit Heather, who's an amazing patron, who's always sending like me like nice messages on Twitter. Or Kate, who is like, Kate, you're my Bobby, and you know what that means. Nobody else knows what I mean when I say that Kate's my Bobby. And just She's such a British cool... policeman? No, that's a thing. Don't worry about it. It's an inside joke. Kate knows what it means. Nobody else knows. I know what it means. And Brie and Alex, man... They are the cutest couple, and I love them so much, and they've always been so supportive from day one, and they're just really cool patrons. And Patrick, Patrick County, you're you're the, the ruling boy here, and you're like the king of patrons because there are another men here. Brian and Jean, you guys are also cool too. This was just recorded before you guys joined. But you know who's also awesome? Lynn. Lynn's my stepmom, and she's a bitchin' awesome stepmom and a really cool patron, and finally, Billy. Billy, honey, you know you're my girl. Billy's, Billy, we've been together since eighth grade. You are my dear, and I love you, and you are my platonic soulmate forever and always. And thank you for being an awesome patron. And if you want your name shouted out right here, you can join our Patreon over at Geeky Girl Experience. Just look us up, and you get your name shouted out on the show. And I get to love and soothe you and, and tell you how much I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thank you so much for being patrons for this show. And I need to continue thinking of creative ways of just saying how much I love you guys, because I do. Maybe I'll just write a poem. <gasps> I should write poems. 
You should write a little song and dance. <gasps> Maybe one of them gets voted off the island. Patrick. <laughs> Patrick, heavy is the head that wears the fez crown of patrons. Mm. Next on next week's episode, Heather comes out of the Patreon confessional with a knife, ready to go after Patrick. But Bree and Alex is a duo, and they come up and they're going to guard them. And then Lynn's just like, "Hi guys, I'm a doctor. Please, no one get hurt." <laughs> and then Kate and Billy team up, and they're like, "Look, y'all, we just got back from our trip from the mountains, so we're ready to go." And it's called Patron Brawl. Da, 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 da. Beware <laughs> the Ides of next month. <laughs> next month's charges <laughs> what are your final thoughts for this episode chris i liked it it's one of my favorite ones i like i'm enjoying it mo- more and more as it's finally starting to not finally because it's doing it at a good rate it's finally starting to integrate like do very much like uh clone wars and and rebels did where it starts out very formulaic and self-contained and then starts getting more complex as it goes along and we're starting to integrate grunkle stan into the main storylines and stuff so i like how it's doing that and i just i don't know something about the collection of gags in this one was very entertaining i like this episode too man it's to be perfectly honest because it's not like a really like big story episode I actually thought this would be one of our our shortest records, but honestly, this is our longest so far. This is the most we've talked. And I think that's there's so much character work going on. This is a great character episode, and we also riffed on Shakespeare for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. But the showcase is why the main five characters are so good, and I love seeing Stan and Mabel's relationship. I love seeing their bet. There's so many, like you said, there's so many great gags, and I love the Grimloblin. He's such a sensitive boy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it's it's a character one where they don't have to like build their characters much, although it's a little character building, but it's more of just like we've built their characters enough so we can just sort of let them go and let them have a nice little fun, funny adventure. All their characters that have formed up to this point just sort of bounce off each other and it's very entertaining to watch. It's early. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good pu- way of putting it. This is an earned character episode where they put into the work and they just, like, like you said, just let it's them like, free. Let's just, let's just have some fun with this episode. Let's make it just a good, uh, fun, entertaining episode. Yeah, and, and even just little stuff like Waddles being the secretary answering the phone by eating it. Like, that's... I that's like Waddles eating... Moment. I like any time when money gets destroyed. I think that always, like, is, like, such a shocking thing. Like, feeding money to a pig and it's just like... <laughs> I love it. The realization that... That Wendy has like, oh no, Mabel has no concept of money. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> there was a great gag on, I think it was the Mr. Show back in the 90s where they, you know, they had like a parody of one of those amazing mystery show and it was about like miracles and one of them was like the miraculous money eating statue. <laughs> had this little statue and people would feed money into it and you could tell there was a person like just pulling the money through with their fingers on the other side. <laughs> There was kind of a joke like that in this, where the little kid put in a penny and the little note from Stan that comes out that says, thanks, thanks for the thanks penny. For the penny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at the Two True Freaks podcast website, which is twotruefreaks.com. Amazingly enough, that's where we keep all our podcasts. You can sign up for the RSS feeds there or at iTunes. If you hang out at Facebook, you could just go over to the Two True Freaks podcast 
group on Facebook and you can see all the podcasts that we post as we post them. It's not really like the stunning art, stunning encyclopedic archive that twotruefreaks.com is, but then you can just see what's going on recently. And if you want to know what's happening with the Two True Freaks podcasters and their listeners, you can sidle on over to the Two True Freaks Cantina, which is our group for just sort of hanging out and talking about movies and TV shows and comics and stuff like that uh we are also on twitter and our twitter account is run by the unstoppable gene gene the podcasting machine gene and uh yeah that's about it for me what about you well of course this is the animation podcast for geekygirlexperience.com you can read all my reviews over there i also have an etsy shop now where i've made a couple gravity falls merchandise like of waddles and stuff so you can check that out I also have a Patreon, which I mentioned earlier because I was reading off the Patreon names. If you look up Geeky Girl Experience on Patreon, you'll be able to see all sorts of extra material. I put up behind-the-scenes looks. I put up early clips. You're actually two months behind if you're listening to the to this on iTunes or on Podbean or any of the other services because my patrons are four to five episodes in front of you, and they have behind-the-scenes content. They have images and, and, and notes and all sorts of fun things. So yeah, like check me out on Patreon. You can also find me on Twitter at Hope Monix. We of course have our other podcast, J Guys and Jedi, and I run our Twitter account for that, at J Guys and Jedi. And I write some fan fiction over archive of our own, which I need to get on because I'm just I need to have a fan fiction day. I just need to write fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wanna know what we're talking about next week, Chris? What's happening next week? I'm interested to see what you think of next week's episode because it's a little bit different. It's a slightly different format and it's called The Bottomless Pit. The Bottomless Pit? The Bottomless Pit. Mm, it's not even a pun or a wordplay, at least as far as I can tell yet. Last time I thought Mabel was going to be a mob boss and not just run the store. So I don't know what to think about it. Probably might find a bottomless pit? <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> it's I, I am very interested to see what you think of this episode because it's a little bit of a different format. And honestly, I don't know how much of the episode is canon. It's that kind of episode. Oh, okay. So we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey, guys. Did you know that you were actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons? My patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show, as well as behind-the-scenes content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website, Geeky Girl Experience, with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye.